0: Hello, I'm Ben Harman, the director of Stills, a photography centre and charity based in the heart of Edinburgh. You're listening to Photography Down the Line, a podcast aimed at sharing the ideas of artists, photographers and other people we're in touch with from the photography sector. To learn more about Stills or to support our work, please visit us online at stills.org. And thank you for listening. Hello, am I speaking to Rosie Martin?
1: Yeah, yes.
0: Hi, Rosie, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. My my pleasure. Now, we had a quick chat before and I asked if you would mind if I read something off your website rosiemartin.co.uk. And we think the text that I'm going to read is 25 years old and made very much with photographs as tangible objects in mind. Um, so, with that in mind, I, I would like to read this and then it's something you wrote 25 years ago and, and then ask you to sort of respond to it, if that's okay. So, here we go. Looking back over all the work I have done over the last 15 years, it is the relationship between photography and memory that has preoccupied me. Make the most of your memories extols the text on the folder in which the bulk processors Photorama return my prints and negatives. But as I begin to examine my collection of personal photographs in light of Photorama's slogan, I'm immediately struck by how photography and memory relate in a poignant and perverse way through a sense of loss predicated upon the unconscious wish to somehow arrest the passage of time by holding it in fragments of a second. How much are the images from the past that I visualise in my mind's eye constructed and mediated through photographs that have survived in my family album? How else might I aim to reconnect with my memories? Can I speak to a collective memory through photographs that express my location in history and culture? Yes. <laughs> Would you like to it say?
1: Still, it, it still stands, I think. It um, does. It does. Uh, and interestingly, um, I find it almost a prediction for a lot of the work I did off, I've done subsequently. Because I, when my father died in 1990, I started to photograph the house because he'd made everything in it. He was a tailor and he also decorated the house and did beautiful oil paintings, upholstered everything. I mean, everything was him. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: at the point of loss, everything I touched was him. So I thought I would record it. And then over time, as my mother aged and she was 80 when he died, she was 92 when she died, um, I revisited the house more and more often as her needs increased. And I documented the house thinking initially it would never change, but of course things do change.
2: Mm.
1: So um, that became the body of work too close to home. And then after she died, I photographed it again with that sort of the finality of loss. But also I did work with Kay Goodridge, the woman I did the collaborative work Outrageous Ages with, and restaged myself as my mother and my father in that space. And also photographed very much through my tears. So again, it's that thing about Trying to hold the passage of time when you can't is very much what that that whole body of work was about. Mm.
2: Is is the
0: is the house your parents lived in something you've been able to hang on to, or were you? Were oh no, you... I'm not
1: that rich. You... No, I'm living <laughs> off it. I'm living off it. Mm. It helps pay my rent. No, so it's, it's, a, it's it's
0: a place you had to let go of as well, as well as the memories it. Yeah. Well I
1: had to let go of place and roots. I found it really hard actually, because I realized you know, okay, it's only suburban London, but that is where I come from. and to be rootless was quite pain was painful actually. and it was it was bought by my parents when they were very young. I mean my dad was twenty two and my mum eighteen. they had one child and another on the way and they were kicked out of the rented property and um and my father moaned, his whole certainly, all the years I knew him, about having this mortgage as this weight around his neck. So it was very much the sort of working class aspiration to have something slightly better and indeed to pass on something better to their kids, which in a way I refuted by going to live in a council flat in central London. Mm. You know, it's complicated, this class stuff. Mm. complicated but of course i got a university education so i was the first in my family to have that but yeah and you, must you, be it's simple
0: you um uh, on on the website there are uh, um you you've made work with pictures from your family album of, of your parents as a young couple holidaying is that right as well that's those photographs have have come up in your in your work
1: oh I I adore that it was um well it was pre-Honeymoon actually but it was it's a lovely lovely (sighs) they're actually fading that that's actually got to the stage where they've almost disappeared Mm -hmm. they're fading into nothing those images um and I just found it very touching that my parents had a good time when they were kids, you know, because when I knew them, they were middle-aged and disabused by life, I think.
2: Mm.
1: Um, Frustrated by life. Mm. So there was something about that family album that delighted me, and I didn't know them. They're completely strange. Who are they, these people?
2: Mm.
1: And I I like the idea that we don't know, because we think we do and we don't.
2: Mm
1: if you see what i mean that sounds that sounds completely crazy but um we fix our parents as we see them you know as kids we they're these big people over there we assume all kinds of things about them but it was about trying to get in touch with their optimism their vulnerability and their joy mm, mm. Which, um, i didn't see as much of really
0: and and do you see yourself in those albums too is it?
1: No, 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 it's them. It's them. But I think it's important to give parents autonomy, you see. That's in a way what I'm trying to articulate. That
2: mm.
1: when I did the phototherapy work on becoming my, performing myself as my mother, becoming my mother and my mm. father, it was very much my internalized version of them, you know, the, my projection of them. Um, So it was all part of the whole process of of trying to see them as people rather than just my projections. Mm. Mm. You see what I mean? Giving them complexity, giving them their own complexity, and not just my father was angry when I was a kid. Well, yeah, he was, but you know, he was a lot of other things as well. I think it's a kind of, hopefully, it's a kind of forgiving. Loving, very adult, very middle aged, even quite old approach to seeing one's parents to actually allow them to be whole human beings. Because when we're young, I think we just project them as, you know, the disciplinarians, all the people who hold the purse strings, or all the rest of it. They have power over us. But as we become older and care for them and see them indeed die, we realize that we're just part of this cycle of life ourselves. Mm-hmm. does that make sense
0: it does yeah <clears throat> yeah did you did did your parents talk to you about their their parents because i know you've there are some pictures on on your website about your granddad, oh, um, the, granddad
1: yeah, also bus now, driver. the
0: bus driver um the om, omnibus driver yeah. <laughs>
1: um not a lot no I asked my father about his life and he said, no, I'm not talking about it, it was too painful, full stop. And my mother a little more, she adored this bus driver who um, went to war when she was five, I think, four or five. She was born in 19, 1910, so 1914. No, it went
2: to war when she was 4 mm.
1: So and I did a whole body whole body of work on that called the Home Front, and which um, which was in oh, which was that in? Oh, it's in one of my publications anyway. Um, probably in the Family Ties book um, about the strawberries, because there was this whole thing about mum mum would buy strawberries when they were something you could only get in June, and they were very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'd give me a whole bowl and i only take one herself. And then mm-hmm. I traced it back through through phototherapy to the um, time when she was a child and it was her birthday. And her mother gave her a copper coin, probably one penny, to go to the corner shop and buy a spoonful of jam. That's all she got for her birthday.
2: Gosh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, so I restaged that, and she spreads a spoonful of jam and looks at the photograph of her father, her loving father, who obviously she projected would have been much kinder and more generous to her, mm. as, I, as indeed I think he was. Um, but he was, you know, away in the war. Would he ever come back? You know, that whole distress <coughs> and pain of, of feeling abandoned when you're so young. And, and then when I looked at the, the images that i made of myself as my mother, spreading the one strawberry on a piece of bread, I realized that I re- I'd restaged her childhood.
2: Mm.
1: So it was really amazing. And that was something that I always use as an example of something I learned through photo that I couldn't have done in ordinary counseling or therapy,
0: right? Yeah, I
1: never yeah. would have made that link. And it's, it's a really strong link because it obviously shows that when she was being generous to me in a way she was being generous to her internal child, the child who didn't have. It's the whole, it's the whole task of parents who are trying to make good what they had as, what they saw as laxed in their own life. But then of course there's the risk that they may not actually be what the kid wants.
2: Mm, yeah
1: repairing things in our lives, but it may not be quite, we may not quite do what we actually wanted. Mm. We are trying to repair. And I think this whole question of reparation has become even more important in my work over the years. So it's not just about tearing things up and getting angry, which indeed is wonderful. But it's about Oh, yes, yeah, so and now let's see how we can mend, make do mm. that, repair.
0: And and when when did you um, start making the phototherapy work? Was that did did that begin when you felt like you wanted to um, do something about you? You were watching your parents aging.
1: No, 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 no. there was from from working with Joe. We were um, we Joe. I met. I knew of Joe and I knew Joe's work and we had mutual um, friends, but I met Joe. As a person in co-counseling, we um, we both enrolled in this amazing co-counseling course, and we both attended, I think, three or four separate courses. We did loads of, of um, co-counseling before we actually paired up and had this crazy idea. Wouldn't it be fun to use a camera?
2: Mm.
0: Was was Joe? Uh, she 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 was obviously a photographer at that time. Was it? Uh, was it long after her commercial practice had finished? Was she Had she been to London Polytechnic at that point?
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. This was um, Jo's, Jo's reason for being in in co-counseling was she'd been diagnosed with breast cancer.
2: Right, OK.
1: She'd chosen the lumpectomy, and she kind of cut off from the National Health Service and was trying to find other ways of of caring for herself through through this cancer diagnosis and
2: Mm.
1: how to live with cancer. And um, co-counselling was one of the uh, routes that she chose alongside alternative um, Chinese alternative health practices. Mm. She was very and and she also went to the Bristol Cancer Center and looked at diet. and She was very rigorous and hardworking in the whole process of, of finding a way of living with and hopefully curing i think she probably did cure the breast cancer that's what's so mm. heartrending, sad about it because she died of the leukemia which was a whole other cancer mm. and she worked so hard to cure mm. and take care of herself but she also at that point realized that she had done a lot of amazing work and so that's when she began working on well then she began working on her autobiography but that what happened between us was that joe kind of Uh, because of the difficulty of um, the rigour of the Polytechnic of Central London in those days. And this is a bit gossipy, but um, for people who were around, it was Bergen's um, theoretical discourse that was dominant. And also Simon Watney, incredibly bright Simon. But I think the whole point was that in a way there are too many images in the world already and we need to really think about the politics of representation and really consider why and how we're making photographs. So it was very much based on the whole deconstruction and what is the purpose of this action, Um, which is rigorous and wonderful, but then where does it leave you if you're a photographer, it leaves you not using your camera (laughs)
2: because
1: it's too much of a responsibility you know oh my god what what do i photograph if if there's if there's if there's such a weight around the politics of representation um and the good thing about me was i hadn't done all that training i had done a lot of stuff around cultural studies but i i hadn't had this rigor that told me i shouldn't take pictures i thought it was fun still
0: (laughs) I, I should say at this point for those listening who j- just um, don't know the
1: history it's such a long
2: history yeah
0: yeah I, I'd just like to say that we're referring to Joe Joe Spence just in case um, oh sorry um, no it's okay because I think we're familiar familiar with her and, and we've been saying Joe, but um who of course you um developed if that's the right word <laughs> for, the, well, for the therapy developed-
1: Created, evolved, uh, pioneered, yeah. all those things, really.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: no, yeah. one, no one was doing work like that when we started. I mean, no. it was a completely strange and wonderful combination to put counselling and for, for, for photography, but not just photography. It was a sort of performative photography. Yeah. It wasn't just yeah. posing. It was becoming. It was yeah. being. You know. So when... One of the early things that Jo needed, needed to, to make images of was the experience in hospital of having the cross drawn on her breast, which she obviously couldn't photograph at the time, um, and the doctor coming up and saying, This one, this one is coming off, and the battle that she had. You know, she needed to make an image of that for herself, you know, as something to contest and challenge and say, This is not what I'm doing. I'm refusing this. But You could only do that through a kind of performative photography and you could only do that with someone you totally trust and the trust was built through the counselling was because I knew her story. I knew her story intimately I knew. Through empathy I didn't know it wasn't my actual experience, but I knew through empathy the pain that that moment caused her. I also had to act as the doctor, the cruel doctor, drawing the cross on her breast so that she would respond both in pain but also in anger. Mm. Very complicated. Does that all make sense?
2: Yes, yeah.
1: Levy of emotion is really what I'm talking about. And in a way, when you're working on something that's that powerful emotionally, you have to really have a sense of safety and trust. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, I'm going to perform being angry or I'm going to perform feeling abandoned. It's You really feel it mm. in your heart, in your body. And so the body expresses the pain or anguish or joy, depending on the emotion that's being explored.
0: Mm.
1: Very complicated process,
0: actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And, and, and you you've been running workshops for a long time now with with in in different countries and with all kinds of different groups haven't you phototherapy
1: oh yeah yeah i mean they're uh, they're amazing these workshops but they um the problem has been um getting supportive enough supportive funding to make them mm. happen
2: because i you... did in
1: fact one at years ago we um uh, at stills years yeah. ago you, you
0: need five days I think don't you you need you've commented somewhere that the the common feedback is i wish we'd had longer
1: oh yeah people always want more <laughs> i definitely i think we'd need five days now but I'm not even sure i've got the energy to do mm. Mm. It, it's very very tiring for the participants as well because people have a habit of going for the their own personal jugular, they seem to go for the most painful thing in their life, not consciously, unconsciously, because when you feel safe enough, you take risks, but it is about my having the skills to hold that, obviously. Mm. Um, They're amazing, my workshops, but they may be, they may be, um, I don't know if they'll ever happen again.
0: And and with the way that digital images can be distributed. How, yeah. does, that, how, how does that affect, um, I'm thinking of, I think I got this from your, your website somewhere as well, this, this um, quotation, when process becomes product, this, um, you know, what, what happens when, when the workshops are, are over and the images start to go out in, in the world?
1: Uh, oh, that's Well, all of that is immensely tricky. For a start, when I run workshops, this is another reason why it's been hard to get funding for them. I say to people that this work is yours. This work is not to be accessed by anybody. Mm. You decide that you're happy to share it with the world
2: mm.
1: because it's really, really important that the people who are exploring their stories feel totally safe and they don't feel as if they're going to be used. In mm. other words, if I make something that, that almost shocks me with the pain that it shows, I don't want to think it's going to go on someone else's bloody website yeah. or a wall somewhere. It's mine. It's mine to decide what to do with.
0: The yeah.
1: whole ownership thing is very key. So if if people who do my workshops decide that they want to put work on. On their websites or out in the world that's their choice but i absolutely must never ever ever do that because that would be to break the therapy relationship
2: yeah yeah
1: but because i'm such a good therapist of course i haven't really been able to exploit this wonderful methodology but i would say that anyone who does exploits their client the person mm-hmm. they're working with you absolutely must not do that it has to be under the control of the person and this is why the whole practice is so odd. So Joe's work ends up being the work where she's in the picture, and then my, my work ends up being the work where I'm in the picture, hmm. which it is because it's the story, it's the life story, it's the experience. But the the task of making the work is collaborative.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is so difficult when there's this sort of cult of cult of the author of, of, of- Oh yeah the singular artist but
2: singular uh, artist
0: yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean i don't know if i don't know if you want to go there but uh, yeah it, it must be yeah it, it must be very frustrating and to, to no, see speak yeah sorry going on
1: I can say it is immensely frustrating mm. um, and it is something i've been sort of hitting my head against a brick wall with but mm. it's also probably why i i do all that work on on the house, you know, using the still life. And um, because my mum didn't want her image made even. Mm -hmm. So I had to use other ways of talking about my relationship with her, which was through objects and, and light. And so in that sense, that work could be mine because I wasn't, well, the collaborator was in fact my mother's house or my father's creation, or, you know, it was another rather stranger indirect collaboration.
0: Mm, mm. That makes
1: any really sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But I have gone back to working with with uh, collaborators, and I'm working with Verity Wellstead at the moment, and really enjoying that. And I really enjoyed working with Kay Goodridge on Outrageous Ages. So, um, I yeah, think be- it's fine. It's just that you know, it's it's when you work collaboratively, you have to take care of that relationship as well, and obviously with Joe that was cut by Joe's death. Mm. So we couldn't take care of that relationship beyond that.
0: Mm. Could you say a little bit about Outrageous Ages?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, I started making that work when I turned 50 and um, turns out turning 50 feels like a, a real, shift but turning 70 is even more even more um because i've gone back to working on aging now um but i was very much the whole idea of know, women at 50 still feel very present in the world but you are beginning to be contained by the notions of the menopause and sort of sexual redundancies the world is not kind to older women and so this was very much A piece of a body of work because there's loads of it which um which challenges that and um plays with it and confronts it and there's a website outrageous ages is a website that anyone can follow up on have a look at and the new work i'm doing with verity is on a website called gravity gravitas um .co.uk but i mean similarly these websites are i'm saying my my websites are never as good as the work. They're only ever a, a, a small taste. And they always need redesign and sorting out. And they're like yeah. so frustrating when I see them. Because we were joking about that when we started to talk, saying,
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Websites web, web websites in that sense never good enough, but they are a taster, I
0: suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And and could you say a little bit about the work you're making with Verity now, the Gravity Gravitas? Yeah.
1: Well, we um one of the really forbidden things we did was we we thought about the fact that older women are seen as should be wearing beige. And beige is not a flattering colour. <laughs> so we've got all these clothes that by themselves weren't that awful, but you know, that sort of beige, it drains the life out of you wearing beige. And so we're both kind of wearing these clothes but hiding ourselves with them. And um They got worse and worse, and in some of them I look as if, and this is very unsound. I look as if I'm on um, an outing from a care home. (laughs) I look, I look really, really bad. Um, And then we ended up. We both tried on my mum's woolen vest, and that was the one that we kind of liked because we're both we're different. We have twenty years difference in age, but we both would be seen as aging women, just wearing this uh, woolen vest, and it's something. There's something quite nice about that. It's very simple. It's like, these are the bodies we have, and that's okay. And I think a lot of it, and we also did a lot of work looking at wrinkles and, um, yeah, all the really ugly body bits because Kay and I had done that doing Outrageous Ages, but 20 years on, there are even more body bits you can dislike and loads more wrinkles. <laughs> yeah, it was about, in a sense, saying, well, you know, this is how it is. And you know, maybe it's beautiful or maybe it's interesting. And why are we just dismissing ourselves? The point when, you know, you've got a few wrinkles around your eyes when you smile. I mean, that's half your life or more. Mm. Get used to it, I think, is my is our point really. Yeah. <laughs> Although some people on seeing the work might rush off to get a facelift. I, I grant you that. But <laughs> what we were trying to do is say, you know, this is. You know, enjoy. You know, um, what if we celebrated wrinkles? Yeah. If every new wrinkle was was good, as opposed to a disaster, because all it is actually is the passing of time.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: We can't stop that. It happens.
0: Yeah. I wondered if you, if there are any visual artists that you look at now or looked at back then that have sort of. Influenced influenced you more than others, or or whether there was a conscious decision not to really, not to do that too much and not to reference other artists. But, um,
1: well, Copeland's work was amazing when I saw that. You know that um can't remember his first name now. Um, Copeland's an American artist oh, jo- yeah John,
0: John Copeland's yes.
1: yeah I mean his work was featured at the yeah,
0: yeah.
1: at the front of the um masculinity show recently at um the Barbican but that work was also shown at the photographer's gallery when I showed work there and Joe showed work there in body politic and I was just amazed at the way that he'd um he'd photographed his aging body mm, mm which is not the way I work, but, you know, it was like, wow. Mm. But he came with an art historian's view as well. So his work is, in a sense, very intellectually uh, framed as well as visually stunning. And, you know, the old inverted commas, brave, which, of course, Mm. it's not because he's just saying, you know, these are my tiny balls, if you know the one I mean. (laughs) He's cupping his little balls. I mean, that's quite a thing for a man to do. I was very impressed. Um, oh, there's loads of people whose work I love, Helen Chadwick. I mean, mm-hmm. but these be people from the eighties, I suppose mm-hmm. I'm referring to a lot.
0: Did you, did you know Helen, Helen
1: Chadwick? Um, a bit, not well.
0: Yeah.
1: I met her at openings, of course, because we were in the same shows, um, but she was amazing. She was just so, so inspiring. As a mm. practitioner, I found her work really inspiring. I don't know about people now. It's a bit odd now. Most of the people I suppose I admire would, would be of roughly my generation, you know, people who had the guts to make work back then when it was... um know, the 80s work, Sunil's work, which is getting a lot of... A lot of um, Expose you now, but I mean, again, I knew him back in the eighties. You know, all these these are practitioners I've known and been fond of, it. Joy, Joy Gregory's work. I mean, mm. but these aren't these are also people I know as well as the practice that I that I admire. So that's slightly confusing in a way, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You like the person, you admire the person, you like the work. I mean, it's quite an interesting combination when that happens.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. Sure. But I don't
1: think I look to copy I mean, I don't look to to copy. I look to of find my own. Material. Mm. But you do. I mean, unconsciously, we're looking at images all the time. We're not thinking, oh, I'll make something like that. but every time we see a new image or we see something that that fascinates us and excites us, whether it's photographic or out in the world, I mean in that sense it's all food. That's mm. all material. That's
0: all ideas. Yeah. And and with with digital technology coming mm-hmm. in and changing everything. And and I like there's a one text on your website is an article you wrote in 2009 for the European Journal of Psychotherapy and Counseling. Oh, yes. And quite near the beginning of the introduction. You write photography has the potential to be democratic, to be democratic. And I like that because it's so often that people are always saying this, isn't it a wonderful democratic medium? But it has it has that potential? But I, I wonder how digital technology has changed things for you. Did you did you embrace it straight away, or did you approach it with with caution?
1: Um. Ooh.
0: Or neither, perhaps. <laughs> I
1: no, it took me quite a while to get a digital camera because I didn't. I mean, well, I had a you know a cheap one, but it was crap, so that was not very satisfactory. Um, <laughs> you know, it made very very small images. I learned Photoshop very early on. Actually, I learned it. I learned it before there was even a history um, facility where, if you made a mistake, you had to go back to the beginning. <laughs> and mm. straining, because um, I was quite excited by what Photoshop could offer. But it yeah. um, took me a long time to buy a digital camera because they weren't really. The great thing about using a photographic negative is that you can blow it up really large mm. or you can have it very small. Uh, the early days of digital, you had to almost decide before you started. Mm. So I didn't buy a good camera. I didn't buy a camera until I could get it was an EOS 5D Mark II with a large, you know, a large sensor, which meant that if I liked the picture, it could be wall-sized, and if I didn't like the picture, it could be in the bin or <laughs> <you> know, one <laughs> megabyte, whatever, you know. So I, I didn't get a digital camera until I had the same fluency that you get with a negative in terms of outcome, because obviously by learning photoshop i realized it depends how big you start as to what you get so i learned all that rigor really before i even started really using the digital camera um and the only reason i changed was because no one was printing c types anymore yeah in other words it was the the possibility of output that forced me into digi Mm -hmm.
2: mm-hmm
1: Really, um, because once I discovered you had to scan it before you printed it, you thought, "Oh, sorry, I might as well get a digi then." <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: does that sound? It doesn't sound very professional, does it? I was happy with, I was happy with negatives, but when I discovered that, then I had this issue that I had to scan everything before it was going. It could be printed. It became actually a block, and so it was good to be using something that I could work with straight away Mm. but i had learned the photoshop so i then had the ability to you know do stuff with it but i sort of learned it the other way around but that was um that was financial as well because i could do courses but i couldn't afford i couldn't afford the toys Mm.
2: Mm.
1: if that makes sense i couldn't afford the equipment i couldn't afford the big the new camera and the good computer so i did it all by doing courses at City Lit and then working at City Lit and teaching at City Lit and getting access to their equipment. Mm, mm. And that's that's really a poverty thing. You know, if I had the money, I just would have bought all the toys, I suppose, but it was good doing it through, through a teaching tutory context because I then had other people's skills available to me. And also, I could share ideas with other people who knew what they were doing. So it wasn't just me and the technology at home. I I was talking with other people who were using it,
2: Mm, mm.
1: which was, I suppose, you know, it's a bit like getting into, well, the ideal fantasy university that doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I'm laughing a bit, but, you know, that notion that, oh, we can all be together as following... fellow intellectuals who like making things and doing things and sharing our ideas and you know when you actually work when you actually work in the institution there's never enough time for that Mm, mm. so actually i found that more in city than i did by working in universities whereas mostly my job was to teach theory rather than exchange interesting ideas about how to make images with other um academics there
0: wasn't much of that and and not to dwell too much on on the
1: we should probably cut all that because that's a bit negative but i mean (laughs) no no no. it's just the fact that working is so pressured in universities now.
0: yeah yeah sure it's a a common common complaint yeah,
1: you know, and the, and the whole idea is you're working with these people whose work you really respect and you and you like and you want to talk ideas and there's never time because, you know, you I mean, to zap off and teach this group here or go to that meeting there or whatever and you never have this wonderful intellectual exchange that...
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. ..we dreamt of, we thought was going to be possible.
0: And it is, is that sort of, um, thinking of the last... 18 months, but not wanting to dwell on it too much. Is that that interaction with other people something that you really missed over the lockdown periods? Has that been the hardest part of it for you? Because I, I imagine, I'm thinking that someone that, you know, is so, is so sort of collaborative in the way you work, that must have been very difficult.
1: Yes, I mean, I have attended quite a number of Zoom um presentations and mm. conferences and events but of course it's very one way really because it's, it's wonderful to hear people talk about their work mm. and my pleasures but you, there's not the sense of being able to go up afterwards and have a chat with somebody or being in a space and you see someone else who's also at the same lecture and you're oh let's have a chat you know there's none of that mm. social interaction. Mm. yes i really do miss that i miss that dreadfully yeah but we all do it's just
0: yeah
1: yeah um and i don't think i've adapted yet they say we're free but i don't feel it yet mm. you know people are not really meeting that much still yet i don't think uh,
0: no it's going to take take time
1: yeah and i mean it's quite wonderful that we can communicate with people on the other side of the world but it's kind of a pity I'm not communicating with people on the other side of London.
2: Mm.
0: Mm. You've mentioned to me that you're <clears throat> you're traveling quite soon to are you able to say a bit about that is that um, for an exhibition?
1: Oh yes yes I, I'm going to Vienna I have some work on in a show called Los Loss and I'm showing work from The work I did on my mother's house after Mm. my mum died and also the acts of reparation work where I dressed as my mother and as my father in their house and um, that's very tender work it's very beautiful work so it feels appropriate to show it under the heading of loss
0: Mm. yeah has that has that work been shown in the u k was it shown around the time that you you made it
1: um <laughs> dear me no
2: um
1: <laughs> it's very hard getting work on walls very hard yeah. um you know and i th- I live in this you know international city it doesn't really want to show local artists does it <laughs> no it doesn't London doesn't show london artists how boring yeah. um sorry that's naughty of me um yeah i did show acts of reparation as part of family ties network exhibition at pelt's gallery in london and um the work of that i call end of the line because my parents lived in morden which is indeed the end of the northern line mm-hmm. but this was also about i suppose me as the end of that particular line um that work's never been seen. I still want to get that out because it's very beautiful. But it, it's quite hard to. Um, I've never been that good at getting work out. Really, getting work in exhibitions. So I, I. I try, but it's it's. Um, I'm not new and young. You see, that's one mm. of the problems.
0: Mm.
1: I can't. I not can't really be discovered now.
0: Do you do you think it did it used to be a bit easier when there when there was more of a, a network of photography galleries in the UK?
1: Oh yeah. But because basically I I I've shown in what do we call them? Well they're non, not commercial spaces, it's spaces supported by they used to be supported mm. by local authorities in the old days. Um, and they were photography galleries and there were quite a lot of them. Yeah. But of course that that went we've lost almost all of them stills, is standing as one of the few remaining of that mm-hmm. wonderful sector. Um, and of course, without a dedicated sector, it's much harder to show because you're competing with artists of other disciplines when you're going to a gallery space. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's not photographic dedicated. Mm. Maybe we don't have to be so um, medium dedicated but then because a lot of um, when you go to the final degree shows you find a lot of them are making videos or that's right photographs now. so it's yeah. it, it's not so it's not so strictly d- divisible but given the interest that there is in photography and indeed video i don't think there are enough places to show
0: mm. mm-hmm. yeah i agree
1: and i mean the There's certainly a love amongst the the viewing public. People like photographic and video shows. They enjoy them, but I don't think there's enough opportunities to show, really.
0: No, no, that's right.
1: I mean, not just for me personally. I mean, for the whole, you know, for generations of people who want to show their work and share their work.
0: Mm.
2: Hmm.
1: But... I don't know. I suppose people say, "Well, I'll show online," but you don't. Again, it's you don't get any feedback from that. You don't get the joy of making an installation. You don't get the joy of placing things. You don't get Mm -hmm. that three-dimensional pleasure. And I've usually tried to show work in a way as installations. If it's work about the home, then I try and make a sort of home space. You know, I I like to play with the ideas that the. Photography itself is addressing in the way it's shown.
0: Yes, yeah. Yeah.
1: And you don't have that control if you just stick it on the internet. You know, people don't even know what size it is, you know. It's yeah. floating. It, it's kind of on, um, it's it's not, it's not located, it's not placed, it's just something that floats. And also it's something that floats by, given how we given how we use our phones.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, just swipe, 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 off it goes. And I still think images, if they're good enough, deserve a little time.
2: Mm, mm.
1: They deserve a little contemplation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And do you still um can you still get one hour photo processors? Dunno. Yeah. <laughs> I love that um they play such an important role in 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 the phototherapy um yeah i'm, I'm I, I was just thinking about that before we were speaking mm. um,
1: yeah well i mean I suppose it was about using it was about using the current um popular cheap very yeah affordable yeah um yeah. Well, bugger affordable. That's what affordable rents? What are affordable rents? <laughs> oh, they're four times more than you earn. No, not affordable, darling. Cheap. Let's um, be let's be down to earth about this. Um, yeah, cheap processes, and that was how you got your pictures then. And also, I still liked I still like when it comes to editing, sorting through prints rather than. You know sorting through all those because you always take too many on it with a digital camera sorting yeah. through all those um, images that you've got on the screen um so i still i still really like that but um, when joe and i started working we we chose that you know that cheap available popular methodology now okay i suppose now it is the phone that is the cheap well mm-hmm. the phone isn't cheap but once you've got a cheap affordable image making process but it doesn't feel as as tangible. It's not. It's not physical. It's not in your hand in the same way, is it? Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: I just—I flick through some pictures while I'm talking to you, just make to remind me how untang- intangible it is. You know, it's sort of, it's there and it's not there, and it's all oh, that's fun. But then it, you just flick across it, don't you? You don't. Yeah. You've got the patience to stay with anything. Yeah, that's but, right. Oh, there's Turner, that's nice, it was nice going there. You
0: know, flick through and you just flick through your life. It's um, it's quite strange, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And that's, that's not taking into account the fact that there might be a label next to a picture which you're invited to read as well. I mean, I suppose Instagram, you know, you have captions and some people have quite a long word count under, under the pictures, but... Well,
1: on their... On their Instagram, you mean? Yeah, but there's yeah,
2: nothing boring. I never. crap. Yeah.
0: Uh, no, that's interesting. I I wonder. I wonder how. I wonder how much people read. You know, labels in galleries now. You know how you'd have a maybe a brief description next uh, to a picture or on a sheet of paper. I wonder if that's yes almost. That's become,
1: interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I still do, but then I, you know, I'm this old generation. I don't know what other people do. Mm. Um I don't like those ones that tell you what to think. No. I'm sure you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yes I do, yeah.
1: I prefer, certainly in my own work, I I used to like putting up like poems next to it or some interesting bit of writing, but it wasn't actually, Mm -hmm. this is a picture about.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Or you've got to think the way that I think about class.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: might do that I suppose but more like you but you know it's like you know I'm going to make a, a state a political statement no not too much of that people won't read that they won't like that yeah I think you have to make people think I don't think it helps to tell them what to think
0: sure yeah
1: I think it's good to ask people questions in in war war texts
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: rather than tell them you know the this is the current right-on way of thinking this week.
0: Ah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. perhaps that's a way of thinking about e- exhibitions in general, so that it's about helping people to leave with more questions than they perhaps had before they went in.
1: <laughs> yes, I suppose in that sense, I am talking about curatorial approach, that yeah. indeed, if you if you can prompt your audience... To go outside and look at the world differently and think question that's a good yeah.
2: exhibition
0: yeah and pay i was i was reading something about the new um scots maca the you know equivalent of the poet laureate i suppose oh, yeah yes. she's talking about the importance of attention paying attention Ka- kathleen jamie that is
1: oh yeah i loved your previous one of course jackie Kay is so gorgeous yeah yeah. I don't know the new one yet. Um, paying attention, yeah. I totally agree with
2: that. The
1: that's mm. that's a kind of what I was saying about about the, the digi, the way you just flip through everything and nothing's given any time or attention.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: And definitely with poetry, yes, it's about this maybe quite a short poem, but really makes you stop and think about mm.
0: something. Mm. Yeah. And 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 you know, perhaps in the same way that art and photography can that it could be you know it could be the thing that it stops and makes you think about could be the climate emergency or um something like that but that that the the importance of paying attention and
1: that it's all it's in a way it's too big so you almost need to make that into something quite small and finite yeah yeah because the
0: climate emergency
1: yeah 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 but that can feel too big for an individual. It's almost like, how do we, I don't know, care for the tree next door or something? I don't know. I think I think for most people, it has to be something that they feel they can affect.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I think the, the biggest problem these days is the sense of parlousness. Mm. And I said I wouldn't talk about the news, but I mean, I think that's... that's <laughs> Certainly, the crisis that I feel we're all going through at, at this present moment. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: With regard to the climate and indeed with regard to what's happening in Afghanistan, we're all feeling completely powerless about the things that we would like to be able to change. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <sighs> well, Rosie, it's been so good to speak to you. I, um, yeah.
1: It's a bad way to end. We, we mustn't end on. Well, that. Well, let's
0: try and think of something. <laughs> try and think of something more positive to to end on. Um, is that is there anything else you can say about the work you're making now and where where you're going with that or?
1: Um, well, I made some work recently which was on show at um, the Arnolfini, which was about the role yeah. of the carer, and I think there are there are all these kind of forgotten groups. So i suppose i am talking about you know how do we make people think and question and and when i was my mother's carer i felt that that was a role that was completely un, not respected and not yeah. given attention yeah. and i felt really strongly about that so i think it's often those kinds of things something that maybe we feel is not given the attention that it it should be um Rather than these big overarching things like gender or race or class but you know some some smaller thing we can somehow identify and do something very specific with mm, because the yeah. overarching things matter but but it's also about well what small difference could I make yeah or how could I think about something different in a different way you can Mm. How could I, and care, care is key, I think. Well, almost where I started from. I was talking with you about um, not seeing other people as projections, but seeing them in their whole complexity.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: And seeing with a, a more attentive, even loving, in inverted commas, gaze.
0: Mm. Do you think the pandemic has... Um, the importance of care into more perspective for people that it's something that's more become has more recognition
2: um
1: briefly Mm. i don't see i mean oh sorry i get cross with people who don't wear masks on the tube Mm. that's such a small act of care yeah Yes, people were being good about seeing whether people had any food in to start with, but I think I think that you familiar. I, I'm not sure that that will continue. I hope it does because people are, as we come out of it in inverted commas, I'm not sure if we are, but the notion is we are. People are going to find her on fellow may well find they haven't got jobs anymore. I mean, there's going to be so many more financial crises arising. And I hope we do maintain our ability to care for others, as well as ourselves. You have to care for yourself as well, of course. That's important too.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think care is quite is a key word, actually.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and and the work you were presenting at Arnold Fini. Did you say that was? Is that quite recent work?
1: Yeah. That's. I made that. I made it a couple of years ago, but I made it about uh, my experience of looking after my mother through dementia, right. which yeah. was some time ago, but I couldn't I was so angry and exhausted it took a while before I could actually take the distance to make work on it.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know, there's something about having a critical distance when you're too immersed in the emotion, it can be quite problematic.
0: mm.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, we should probably try and round it up there. Um, yes. Thank it's you again time. so much for your time.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Really. Thank,
1: you. thank always,
0: you for this invitation. Yeah, always so interesting to talk to you and have to work out a time to get you back up here when you're feeling safe about traveling and, and all of that. Oh
1: yeah, yeah no, I, I feel safe enough. It's just yeah. a question of... Um, Yeah, I just, I love seeing people and being around people. So I don't think I can stand this isolation much longer.
0: Yeah, Yeah. well, it'd be brilliant to have you back in Edinburgh again soon.
1: That would be my, completely my pleasure.
0: I'll keep in touch about that. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rosie. Take care. And you do. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.